0: My name is Nathan Forster, and this is Deeper and Wider, a show where we meet at the crossroads of Christian faith and all of life, from the small to the big, from the mundane to the profound, where we learn people's stories and their specialities, have conversations, and offer perspectives, all of which are shaped and animated by Jesus, his way of life, and the kingdom he came to bring. This show will be a resource for people who deep down in their bones, think that surely, God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have put it in. A kingdom that can permeate all of existence, if we allow it to. So welcome to Deeper and Wider. Hello and welcome to Deeper and Wider again. Once again, this is not a relaunch episode. This is just the third episode in an unsorted season of the show, of which I give another sermon that I did way back in the day in 2019, which feels so long ago now. It was one of the last sermons I gave whilst I was the Young Adults Coordinator at the now defunct Sanctuary Church. I'm not going to say anything more. I'm going to let the sermon speak for itself. So sit back and I hope this ministers to you. God bless. So I'm speaking from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who... If a child asks for bread, we'll give a stone. Or if a child asks for a fish, we'll give a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do to others as you would have done to you, for this is the law and the prophets." This is God's Word. So in the year 2008, I had an experience of God that changed my life forever. As a result of this, I started to live very differently. I started to talk very differently around my school friends and tell them all about Jesus. I had what you would perhaps call at this early point in my Christian faith, an evangelistic energy drink, whereby I would seek to tell every single person that I could see within my school about Jesus. One friend of mine had a lot of deep questions, deep questions about the nature of God and questions about the Bible, what we in certain areas of the church world would call the apologetic questions. And one night on social media, he asked me on my Facebook wall, very directly, how can you believe in God if, if uh, there is so much evil in the world? And I responded in what I look back now to be perhaps a young, non-pastoral, hyper-apologetic way. So looking back now, probably not a good, good way, to be honest. I told him about that, well, first of all, that his idea that... Um, of that there is suffering in the world. His idea of very evil, they he had to get that from somewhere. So I would often say things like, you know, if there's a universal purpose to the cosmos, you need a God to define that purpose, and then that purpose defines what's good and what's evil. So therefore, you have fault in your question about if there is a good and loving God, why evil? Because in order to have evil, you need no good. And I just took this whole rant, this apologetic rant to my friend to try to just debunk his argument on why would there be a good and loving God, would there be evil in the world? Then I got the following response from him that changed the way I had any of those future discussions forever. He private messaged me. He told me that he suffered from depression and that he would self-harm and that his family was emotionally neglectful to him and that he absolutely hated himself. And that in his suffering, he cried out to God but would get no answer. And as such, he couldn't believe that there was a God or if there was a God, that this God was good. Needless to say, that changed the way I had those conversations forever. That behind every philosophical question, there's a deeper, more personal question. A more pastoral question. Now, over 10 years have come past, I now work with teenagers who go through these similar stories as my high school friend of students who come from emotionally and physical neglectful families or experiences in their previous school environments that have left them deeply traumatized. Now, in my current role at the school, my counseling role, I'm not there to evangelize. However, religion does typically come up after altar One identifies as a Christian school, and so the topic of God will often come up in conversation. And so they ask the same question that my friend often asks. Why is there evil? Why, if there is evil in the world, do you believe in a good God? Now, the reason why I'm giving you these stories today is to set the tone of today's text. For you see, my friend... And these students, if I'm just being honest and trying to picture how they would respond to such a message today, they would scoff at today's reading from this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Because for the most part, they have cried out. They have been trying to find answers. And they've been trying to find a door to knock on that will have something new and life-giving behind it. And I, for one, thank them for their honesty. Because let's face it. Do we not struggle with this text as well? I had a mentor who was a pastor. He was one of those people who made me a lot of who I am today. He introduced me to some of my favorite scholars like N.T. Wright. He was pretty, pretty blunt. and he, had a pre- he was a pretty blunt guy, but he was also very kind and tender-hearted. When he was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor, me and others cried out to God. And then he died 10 weeks later. What do we do with our stories when we ask God very reasonable things and they don't happen? And then what do we do when we come face to face with texts like this? Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Did Jesus know what he was on about when he said this? Jesus was speaking to a very marginalized and hurting people when he gave this sermon. Now, popular imagination sometimes has painted ancient Rome as some sort of high class and ordered society. And yet... If you actually look at the history of this particular empire, the Roman Empire, they stomped down on many people. And in the case of first century Jerusalem pushed the people into poverty through high taxes, serious and malevolent regulations, and taking from them what little they had left. The point I'm trying to make is this: These people, Jesus' audience, knew what it meant to be under the boots of empire. They knew what it meant to be marginalized. Jesus himself came from the poor part of town. And as such, I would say that Jesus is not unsympathetic to his own claims when he calls upon people to seek, to ask, and to not. He isn't calling people unto and asking, a seeking, and a knocking against the backdrop of some sort of detached, floating in the sky sort of religion. But against the backdrop of their own lived experience and his people's own lived experience as a people who knew the cycle of slavery. And within that, wrestling with the bigger questions of God's faithfulness towards them as a people. They knew the stories of Exodus. It was their story. They also knew the story of Exodus when God finally hears their cry. They knew their poems, whereby they bluntly and honestly, honestly asked questions, How long, O Lord? They knew the beautiful passages of Proverbs in one hand and also Job and Ecclesiastes in the other. Jesus then was saying what he was saying as a person from the pain of the people for the pain of the people. So what then is Jesus doing in this passage? We are so conditioned often to read this passage as if God is a cosmic vending machine whereby we can get what we want from God if we just ask, seek, and knock. And by the way, if we don't have enough faith coin or good works coin, then God doesn't give us what we want out of this divine vending machine of himself. Rather than seeing the asking, seeing the seeking and the knocking against the backdrop, of the deeper question that Jesus' listeners in the midst of their oppression would have been asking, and that is, can we trust that God is good? Or better yet, can we trust in the faithfulness of God? And that for them was a very real question. And I guarantee for us, it's a very real question that we, that I, that you, face. And if that is the question you have faced, then you're in good hands, because being honest with the deep questions and the deep angsts of life is through all of Scripture. And yet, it is the boldness to how Jesus answers this question, which still haunts me even to this day. The answer is yes, we can trust that Abba That God is good. Like I said, we are so conditioned to chop this text up into neat verses that we miss the flow of what was going on in this sermon here. That Jesus indeed was making a wider point. This isn't a, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. It is that we can go to God. And ask God for good things in prayer and trust in God's goodness. And the key word here is trust. Trust isn't about having it all figured out. Trust is like that, and I've said it before, like that of a trustful. It's not a cognitive belief word. They don't call it that for a very good reason. It's a trustful. It's a trust in God's faithfulness. After my mentor died the wife of my mentor came to a point when she honestly and sincerely and free of stoicism, I promise you, said this. Despite everything, I choose to believe that God is ultimately good. There was no happy, clappy bone in her body when she said this. There was no hallmarky, blessing-in-disguise tripe. Rather, she truly Mented on the far side of her own wrestle and grief and loss in the presence of God. Now some people see that as naive, as silly, as stupid. I ask what universe would we rather live in? A universe of pitiless indifference or one where we might not have all the answers but one where there is the one who has gone through the gallows of suffering and death himself, trusting God to the bitter end and as such knows our plight, who then is later vindicated in resurrection and promises our own vindication as well one day, who promises to make all things right, to whom we now can call upon Abba, Father, So ask, to seek, and to knock we must. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, to ask, seek, and knock is a continual thing, it's it's an ongoing practice. It's about a constant asking, of a seeking, of a knocking. Now what do you think such a constant asking, seeking, knocking thing is doing? Remember, if the asking, seeking, and knocking isn't about asking, seeking, knocking as if God is a vending machine, but rather that God is a loving person, then what is happening in such an ongoing move, continual move towards God? What is happening is there is a forming of a more intimate relationship with God that transforms us into the people of the kingdom of God that Jesus wants us to embody in the world as seen and as expressed in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the point. Jesus stressing that we're to ask and seek and knock implies that we are a people who need something, that there is a desire there, that there is a vulnerability that Jesus is discerning. That implies something else then. Jesus is wanting to give us something that we need. And that something that we need is said throughout all the Gospels. It's especially prominent in John's Gospel. And that is that Jesus wants to give us life. And life is defined by Jesus as the kingdom. Imagine then being a people who ask, seek, seek, And not for the kingdom of God to be more manifest. Now, please don't misunderstand me. God is concerned over the mundane and our day-to-day, which means we can be cheeky and loving and playful in our communication and speaking to others. That includes asking for God and things in life all the time. Of having a dialogue, an open and honest dialogue with God. Because God is a loving God who listens and responds. We have a God who delights in our delight. So please don't misunderstand me. Ask, seek away and knock away. And yet ask as well, seek and knock for the kingdom of God. For in time we embody the kingdom and be the people for the world, for what God is for us. And this leads us to the most famous, one of the most famous verses in Scripture In everything, do to others as you would have done to you. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, everything of the Old Testament commandments, all the prophets, all hinge on this. In everything, do to others as you would have done to you. This verse is not disconnected from the asking and the seeking and the knocking. In some translations, it actually says this. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, in everything, do to others as you would have done to you. For this is the law and the prophets. In the asking for the kingdom, in the seeking for the kingdom, in the knocking for the kingdom, we become the answer for what people are crying out for when they ask, seek, and knock. For in everything, do unto others as you would have done to you. If the thrust of the Sermon of the Mount has been about Jesus creating an alternative society, then we cannot remove that from the equation when it comes to asking, seeking, and knocking. When my mentor died... I had godly people come around me who acted the heart of God as they allowed me to cry and lean on their shoulders. When my friend from high school went through his depression, he eventually got help from another friend who was a devout Catholic who told him to see the school psychologist. Whilst Alter One isn't trying to make converts, but rather simply love our teenage neighbors in their plight, despite their beliefs, The students often ask the questions about us because despite their sufferings and questions of suffering, they see that there is a people who have asked, seeked, and knocked to find out what the kingdom would look like to those kids who were down and out. And the school became an embodied answer to their prayers. And so they want to know more to what motivated the school in the first place. When we ask, when we seek, when we knock, we become transfigured to be the answer. So what would it mean if we became a people who, when someone asks us, when someone seeks us, when someone knocks on our door, that we do unto them what we ask, seek, and knock for God to do unto us. As one podcaster alike, Mike Maharg says, and I quote: "Never let your faith allow you to take a step of distance and say only God does the loving, because that's a disembodied faith. For if you believe in an empty tomb, then your job is to love your neighbour and not merely say God does." My friends, don't misunderstand. We can ask our Father in heaven for good things and Abba answers. Ultimately, and I'll conclude with this if the band could come up. Ultimately, the answer to our asking, the answer to our seeking, and the answer to our knocking. Thanks, mate. The answer that we are asking, seeking and knocking, it's answered in the person of Jesus, who in his death and resurrection brings the kingdom. You see, because God brings God's kingdom, it's his work of salvation, not ours. Rather, we become a people who lean into what God has already done and become a people of the kingdom presently here and unto kingdom come by the power of the Holy Spirit. For in the end, this asking, this seeking, this knocking will all be pulled together by God who promises that in the midst of our groaning, will mysteriously, strangely, and and just counterintuitively work all things for good and make all things well in the end. Whereby the tree, as we see in John's revelation, or perhaps a tree that we see that Jesus was hanging on, becomes transfigured unto that tree, whose leaves will be for the healing of the nations. And as such, for you and for me as well. We're not perfect. We just follow the one who has embodied the kingdom, has brought the kingdom and is bringing the kingdom. And as we follow, over time, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we become a people who can grow more and more into the people that God wants us to be, that as we ask and seek and knock, that we become like the door that people knock on, that we become the people that others seek and ask for. Bring your prayers to Abba. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying don't fervently ask, seek and knock in the situations of your own life. Please don't misunderstand me. And yet allow that space to also form you into the person. And let us be formed as a community both to each other and to those those outside of the community. Where we can do unto others as God has done unto us. So let us grow more and more unto the people being shaped by this. As we pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors, strangers, and enemies as ourselves. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Deeper and Wider. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe and share far and wide. If you want to get to know me, then follow me on Instagram at NathanForster or look me up at NathanForster.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.